Wow, and I do appreciate the good food and the fellowship and all of that. And uh, turn your Bibles back to the book of Leviticus somewhere. It's in the early part. And wow, thank you for the messages. I appreciate uh, Brother Young and I, when he said, you know, it's amazing what fear will do and how we need faith. I love the illustrations that... uh, he talked about cheering and cheering for the miracle on ice, and it's already <laughs> What a, how true is that? Now, I didn't know he was into Reformation theology and that everything that was all predestined. That was that, that part. That was new to me. <laughs> and thank you, Brother Eugene, for the challenge. To go after souls. I can't tell you how I'm in church after church after church and I hear this all the time. Brother, we're going to really focus on disciples. And they'll always, uh, you can imagine, I travel full time. And I used to be in this little cocoon called Wildwood Baptist Church. And well, wow, it's, look, they did it all wrong. Tom Malone, Jack Hiles, all those guys, they did it all wrong. We really need to focus on discipleship. And they've got all these programs and all of these booklets and then everybody's being trained and discipled in small. And then the whole church is all trained, ready to disciple somebody, but they haven't seen somebody saved or walk the aisle for three years. But the pastor is... Bless God, we're ready if one of them accidentally gets saved. Look, we have to go back after souls. That is, I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road. I'm for discipleship. We had a guy tell me, well, Brother King, did you use this program? And he happened to like Brother Chapel's material. And he says, have you used this? He says, this is what every church, and I said, you know, We didn't we didn't have the advantage of that. Well, brother, then how did you disciple people? I don't know. I don't know. I taught them the book of Titus. I went verse by verse through. Uh, we have 70 men out in full-time ministry. Think if we'd have had your plan, we probably could have really done something. Yeah. After a while, uh, look, just... Do the best you can to win them and wet them and work them and get them get them busy. I uh, I was in a church and I'm I'm thankful to serve churches all over, but I'm learning a lot. You know, you can go by the field of the slothful man and see the the fence broken down and the weeds all grown, and you can receive instruction from that. At least I know what not to do now. I was in the church, the pastor sits me down, Pastor King, now listen, it's Wednesday night, you got to be done at 8.15. They're going to let the Iwana kids out, they're going to come traipsing through the lobby, it'll be pandemonium, you have to be done by 8.15. Swear on a stack of Bibles, slit your wrist, blood brother promise, we will be done at 8.15. I said, that's fine, I, I can shut up, I, I, I pastored, I get that. 8.15, right? Yeah, fine. We start at 7. It's Wednesday night. And God is my witness. We had three congregational songs and prayer in between. 
and we got to sing every verse. Now, when you're a guest speaker and you're watching your time melt away, you keep track of this stuff. And then it was, hey, let's have prayer requests. Okay, fine, prayer requests. I'm for prayer. Da, da, da. Then it's, hey, look, we're going to have Tom and Ed and Al. Would you lead in prayer for these prayer requests? And we're going to go through the missionaries and the military and the government and the, and everybody's got cancer. And Fine, now it's 7.30. And then he says, hey, my, my son and daughter, they won the fine arts competition in dramatic dialogue and it's only 12 minutes, and I know they did it for the whole church before the competition, and then after they won first place, we showed you the ribbon, and then they did it just Sunday night, but Brother King wasn't here. And so he'll want to, so I'm going to have them come up and do it again. Fine, fine, fine as frogs here. If it makes you happy, it thrills me. I don't care. And then he has after the dramatic dialogue, listen, I've got to make a few announcements. And this, I'm, in, I'm there in May. And he starts with, didn't we have a good watch night service with those young guys preaching? And didn't Ellen and Fred do a good job with the sweetheart banquet? I mean, some of those games, they were hilarious. And wow, I'll tell you, that was a sweet, sweet time. And then the Easter cantata. He went through, obviously because the guest speaker needs to know we're a busy church. He went through Easter, Memorial Day, the float for 4th of July, the Labor Day program, the thanks for giving distribution of food, and pray for the group looking for the right music for the Christmas cantata. We started the announcements in January and ended in December while I'm sitting there bleeding. <laughs> it is five minutes to eight. Now look. Then he said, Mabel, would you come sing a special just before the speaker? And Mabel is sitting in the back row, and she uses a walker. <laughs> oh, got to give the music to the pianist. By the time she got there and then explained, hey, I'll do verse 1 and verse 2, then you play and then we'll go, and then I'll do the last verse, and then you go through the chorus again. I'm, listen, I am not making one syllable of this up. By the time she got back off the platform, it was seven minutes after eight. And then the pastor wants to introduce me. Hey, we're so thankful for Brother King, his ministry. And I'm like, well, apparently you don't think all that much about it. I read my text. I said, here's the points. Maybe next time when I come back, I can do this. You know, 
stand up, speak up, shut up. And I sat down. I mean, 8.15. But for every screwball pastor I meet, there's a good, a, a good one. <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin, right? Okay. This is a new day, and, and before I get into the message here, it, it, today, today, to pastor a fundamental Bible-believing conservative Baptist church, and I don't mind the title IFB, oh, what about you IFBs? I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. Make no apologies for it. But, wow, it's a new day to pastor. And whether you pastors realize this or not, you probably know this and see it way more than I do, but now it's... It, in in the early days, it was, hey, we had the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. You had your people who brought a trade into the community, but everybody was fairly self-sufficient. They fixed their own car. They repaired their own house. They raised their own chickens. They had a big garden, and they kind of took care of themselves and brought a gift into the community. We went through World War II and Rosie the Riveter and all of that, and men came back after that. And we started the age of specialization, and now everything's too complicated. I don't do my taxes because I have a tax guy. I don't do my retirement planning because I got a financial guy. I don't fix my dryer because we have an appliance guy. I don't take care of my car because, wow, now they went to computers, and so we have a, a, a car guy. And that's all fine when you're a pastor because... At least my specialty is, hey, I'm the spiritual guy. Hey, they can ask me questions about God and the Bible and ministry, marriage, and hey, should we? And so at least I have, in this field of specialists, I have my niche. But today, I'm, I'm in a church out in east of, DC, east of Baltimore, and I, the pastor's showing me around, and he takes me in a bookstore, a bookstore as big as this room. Floor-to-ceiling books, aisles after aisles. And I said to him, wow, I know churches are colleges that don't have this kind of library. Look at their resources, the bookstore and all that. He says, oh, Brother King, do you know somebody we could donate this to? He says, we haven't, we haven't sold a book out of here in a year. We don't even turn the lights on in here. He said, we've got $2 million worth of inventory and we're looking for a ministry to give this to. Hey, okay? I'm serious. He says, pastors are all dressed up with nowhere to go. They're on this search for significance. Nobody calls them and asks them for advice. Ask any pastor, when was the last time somebody called you and had a question of a spiritual nature and asked for an appointment and came to your office and sat down and asked, do you think I should nurse my baby? Do you think I should buy this house? Do you think? He said, you know why? Because pastors have been marginalized. Whether you know it or not, they have another source of information. It's the Internet. You stand up and say... Paul was in Rome three times, and they say, hey, Google, 
How many times was Paul in Rome? You stand up and say the King James Bible is a preserved word of God without provable error. And they go, what's the, what's the most reliable Bible? You say, hey, uh, I wouldn't advise you to uh, get in a partnership with a lost person. And they go, hey, does the Bible say anything about partnerships? And it's not just that you have a competing voice in your pew. This is considered a superior voice. You are looked at as being prejudiced. You are looked at being blinded. You're looked at as being stupid. But this is objective. This is neutral. This is authoritative. Can't tell you how many times people walk out and they're actually looking on their phone. They barely shake the pastor's hand. And the pastor's credibility is at stake. And they walk out. You ask this generation that's under 40, they don't want an hour-long appointment. And they don't want to argue with you. They already know what they believe. And it ain't what you believe. And they couldn't care less about your opinion in many cases. And so... Pastors feel marginalized. Hey, well, uh, and so the only way, and it's kind of an uncomplimentary thing, but the honest truth is human nature, if nobody solicits your opinion, if nobody values your input, if nobody respects what you have to say, the way we compensate for that is to insert ourselves, interject ourselves into all kinds of places where they didn't ask us. And it's always a, a very... Uh, squishy thing and you, on top of it I mean I'm preaching look I'm from Wisconsin we have a team called the Green Bay Packers they didn't ask me for permission to play on Sundays but I'm preaching away and all of a sudden the chorus of amens goes across the congregation and I didn't even say anything worth an amen and then you find out the Packers just scored a touchdown <laughs> At 11 minutes after 7, hey, hey, I'm not proud of it. I'm saying that's what we're dealing with. And it's never going back. And don't, get, don't feel picked on or paranoid about it. Uh, it's the same way, hey, my dryer's making a squeak. Oh, why do Frigidaire dryers make a squeak? Oh, it's the two two uh, bearings at the back of the drum, and here's how you take it apart. Yep. Right? Yep. They walk into the doctor's office. Hey, look, just write a script. I, I know I got Lyme's disease. I, uh, I looked at all. I did the research, and I got the medical stuff right here. And, and just uh, write a prescription. I don't want you to look at my big toe. I, I just, just give me what I want. They go into a car dealership and they say, look, I know you guys paid $37,400 for that car, and I know there's $900 worth of rebates if I sign up for this. Uh, do you want me to get it from you, or should I get it from the other guy for 20 bucks less? I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's never going back, folks. It's never going back. And so I'm on the page of trying to help pastors in any way I can, in a climate where many of them feel they're not valued, they're not appreciated, they're not respected. And so I'm, 
kind of on a one-man crusade to say, look, at least let's not do dumb stuff. <laughs> Help us stay true to the Bible and not do things that hurt us. I'm in a church. <laughs> it's not this state, but come forward for the offering. The ushers come up. Fred, come pray. Fred comes up to the pulpit and prays. Then he goes <laughs> back to the outside aisle, and I'm sitting there, and nobody nobody took the offering. And I'm thinking, well, it's different, but I'm not in charge, and so I don't care. And boy, the organist gets to the second verse, and she's playing away, and the pastor gets down out of his throne and goes down on the communion table, and he gets an offering plate, and he walks over to the first person, and he stands there until they put money in. And then he went to the second person. She played seven verses while he took the offering. This is how you take an offering. I don't know. Who, who thought this was a good idea? I, Leviticus chapter 14, I guess. a marvel that some people go to any church. Let me say in preliminary a couple things here. Um, I fully understand that we're looking at an Old Testament passage. And I fully understand that there is a difference between the Old Testament priesthood and the New Testament pastor. But there are many, many, many parallels, right? If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Right? We learn from the Old Testament the nature of how God operates. And so as we look at this, we're going to talk tonight or today just about leprosy for a few minutes. And um, if you look down uh, chapters... 13 and 14, right? In the Bible, if you want to study the resurrection, why you look at 1 Corinthians 15, and if you want to look at being born again, it's John 3. And Well, remember in the Old Testament, when God was using the prophets to rebuke the shepherds that failed, and he said, you failed to put a difference between the unclean and the clean, between the holy and the profane. Uh, in the New Testament, judgment must begin at the house of God. If it first begins at us, where shall the sinner ungodly appear? Right? Most of the time, there's failure because there's a failure in leadership. There's a failure in the pulpit. There's Anybody can just curry the favor of everybody, but it takes courage to battle at the battlefront. It takes courage to preach against sin. It takes courage to stand for right and truth. Well, here, of all the things, I mean, you got Aaron and his sons, the Aaronic priesthood. Then you get his sons, Kohath, Gershon, Merari. And, hey, you guys, you'll take the articles of the temple when we move from our, the tabernacle from here to here to there. Uh, you guys carry these. You do the knops and the hangings and the bars. You carry the, and hey, here's how you do the, on the staves, and you're going to carry the ark, and here's, and then we'll set up, we'll get to the new place, and we'll put the laver and the candlestick and the brazen altar. We'll, here's how this all works, and 
of all the duties given to those Old Testament priests. Hey, we're going to, the firstborn out of the matrix, we're going to use the tribe of Levi. So you get Leviticus. Hey, we'll use them. And so now you have all the rules, all the ministry, all the regulations. Here's how God's going to be pleased. Here's how he's going to be worshipped. Here's how he's going to be approached. Here's how he's going to be honored. This is how we do it. And you get to chapters 13 and 14, and he says, now look, people have leprosy. And they're going to have to have someone be the arbiter to determine, is this leprosy contagious? Is this some other thing that just looks like leprosy? Or is it really leprosy? And I'm saying all that because, it's got nothing to do with coronavirus, but somebody's got to decide, right? In a Baptist church, if a kid comes with a runny nose in the nursery, mom says, you can't put him in here, right? (laughs) Be ready for a battle. But somebody's got to say, yes, we're going to do this, or no, we're not going to do this. And of all the jobs that the priests had, I imagine this idea, hey, you're going to be the one who decides whether a leper is clean or unclean. Oh, please, can I be the one that does that? (laughs) Right? Admit it. Every job, every occupation. The guy who's a car mechanic, he loves building a stock car. He's going to race on Thursday nights. The guy who's a carpenter, he likes building a dollhouse for his granddaughter. The guy who's a dentist loves the pretty braces on the nine-year-old. But every job has, hey, you're the carpenter? Well, you take out the toilet and you replace all the urine-soaked boards. Hey, you're a mechanic. While the snow drips off the car and runs down your neck, replace the rusted muffler, right? In ministry, there's a few things like that, right? So look, if you will, and we'll just kind of jump in Deuteronomy 24, or excuse me, Leviticus 14, and down to the end, it says, this is the law. So we're going to look back to 13 and 14, but it says, this is the law of all, for all manner of plague of leprosy and skull, that is in humans, and for the leprosy of a garment, that's your clothing, and of a house. And for verse 56, a rising, and for a scab, and for a bright spot. Watch verse 57. To teach when it is unclean and when it is clean, this is the law of leprosy. The priest has the duty, the responsibility to teach the people. But if you want to mark Deuteronomy 24 at the end, when this is repeated to the new generation, you get to the end of chapter 24 and verse 8, it says, take heed in the plague of leprosy. This is Moses writing to the people. That thou observe diligently and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you, As I commanded them, so ye shall observe to do. Right? Leprosy is a type of sin. Leprosy is a serious thing. Look, maybe you have... I've been to a leper colony in Brazil. 
I've seen these shreds of human beings. I've watched them as their face melts off. I've seen them where they don't have fingers or toes. I've watched cancer on the outside, if you will, killing people. It's horrific. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But here, the Bible, if you just turn back to Leviticus 13, and we'll read a couple things here. The priests have a responsibility to teach, but the people have a responsibility to obey. Again, I know it's the Old Testament, but doesn't that kind of speak to you of Hebrews 13? Remember them who have spoken the word of God unto you, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversations. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your soul as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. Right? It's an Old Testament truth, but it's got New Testament application all through this. Now, Think of the responsibility. Someone presents to a priest and says, hey, look at this. Do you think I have leprosy? Now, hey, hey, leprosy has a seven or eight year incubation period. Leprosy is contagious. At that leper colony, when somebody got leprosy, the whole family moved to the leper county. The truth is, personal hygiene was better there than it was in the general populace. Because if I haven't already given leprosy to my daughter, I don't want to. But here's the priest. Everybody else is saying, stay away from me, stay away from me. And the Lord says, now look, they got to come and you got to look close at it. Oh, please, can I? <laughs> oh, Really? What a wonderful privilege this is. Think of this. You got a congregation. And a guy comes and says, I think I have leprosy. You have a responsibility to that individual. You don't want him to be isolated, kicked out. You don't want him to be uh, quarantined. But if he really does have leprosy, you also have a responsibility to the rest of the congregation. And you can't just carelessly let him in because as sure as you're breathing, somebody else is going to get infected. So the job of that priest, this is the law of plague of leprosy. Look with me, chapter 13. We'll just slide through this real quickly. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, when a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab, or a bright spot, and if it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall look on the plague of the skin of the flesh, and when the hair in the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a plague of leprosy. And the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. For if the bright spot be white in the skin of his flesh, and in sight be not deeper than the skin, and the hair thereof be not turned white, 
Then the priest shall shut up him that hath the plague seven days. And the priest shall look on him the seventh day. And behold, if the plague in his sight be at a stay, and the plague spread not of the skin, then the priest shall shut him up seven days more. And the priest shall look on him again the seventh day. And behold, if the plague be... Look at those next two words. Somewhat dark. And the plague spread not in his flesh, in the, flesh, in the skin... Then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is but a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab spread much abroad in the skin, after he hath been seen of the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen of the priest again. And if the priest shall see that, behold, the scab spreadeth in the skin, then the, he shall, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprosy. Now listen, listen. I have a scab, a skull, a rising a spot, and the priest has to look at it. Is this just above the skin or is it in the skin? He has to look at it close enough to see what color the hair is on that spot. Okay, don't cheapen this. Weighty far-reaching, deeply implicating decisions are going to rest on this. And it uses the word, if it be somewhat dark. Well, can I tell you, I don't know what somewhat dark is. Right? Look with me, and I will just... <laughs> Slide down through this with me. You just look at verse 13 of chapter 13 here. Then the priest shall consider. And behold, if the leprosy have covered all his flesh, he shall pronounce him clean that hath the plague. Is all turned white, he is clean. Hey, it runs his course, it doesn't kill him. He's white as Casper the friendly ghost. Okay, uh, he's okay. He can come in. But verse 19, and in the place of the boil, will that be a white rising or a bright spot, white and somewhat reddish? I call this message, it looks ish to me. It looks ish to me. Somewhat reddish. Is that, is that pink? Is that chartreuse? Is that favoring a rose? It's somewhat reddish. Verse 21. Just look through the verse and it says at the end, if it be somewhat dark. Verse 24. If it be somewhat reddish or white. Verse 26. If it be somewhat dark. Verse 28. If it be somewhat dark. Chapter 13, verse 30. If there be in it a yellow thin hair. Hey. I think I think I think it's yellow, but does that look thinner than usual to you? I'm saying to you folks, 
it's not always as easy as you might think. Somewhat reddish, somewhat dark, a yellow thin hair. Look at verse 39. Here's, here, we're going to give you a good, clear direction. Here's how you can tell. Verse 39. Then the priest shall look, and behold, if the bright spots in the skin of their flesh be dark ash white. That's clear as mud. Is that gray? What is darkish white? See, but you don't get to just cop out. They're waiting for you to pronounce yes or no. Clean or unclean. Should I or shouldn't I? Now hear me. Right here in verse 42, if there be in the bald head, this is Brother Young. Hey, they don't put marble tops on cheap furniture, brother. If there be in the bald head or bald forehead a white, reddish sore, it is a leprosy sprung up in his bald head or his bald forehead. What happens down to the end of the chapter 44, 45? He's a leprous man. He's unclean. The priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean. His plague is in his head. And the leper to whom the plague, in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, unclean, unclean. Look, it's a serious thing. Now, Hear me. A young guy comes to me, sits in my office and says, I'm gay. Can I come to your church? Hey, do I have a responsibility to him? Yes, I do. But do I have a responsibility to a whole congregation? Yes, I do. One of the beauties of this scripture is this. If the priest is not sure, he is to err on the side of caution. It presents, you don't know what to do. Hey, hey, we buy time. Set him aside for a week. It doesn't say let him in the congregation for a week. You isolate him for a week. You look at him again. If you don't know for sure, you isolate him for another week. If you still don't know, three weeks, three weeks. Because if it's really going to be hurtful, by then it will be manifest. They saw the early signs. Now, hey, it looks reddish. It looks yellowish. I'm not sure. The priest sees him again. Hey, hey, you know what you know what it tells you? The overarching principle is you've got to protect the group while you respect the individual. Listen, I know it's an old testament passage, but wouldn't we do well in our churches to learn from this? Hey, hey, I don't want to say for sure. It looks ish to me. Let's maybe be a little careful here. Now, 
I'm a pastor. Look, I get it. Somebody comes, Brother King, uh, I don't know, my husband's really good at softball, and he wants to play for the softball team. There's a league in our town, and, and I mean, he's, he's, he's hoping to be a good witness to the guys at the softball team. Do you think he should play? It doesn't. It's not a church night. It's Tuesdays. Uh, the husband says it's it's great. It's within the province of my liberty. The wife says, "Look, he's playing for Jack's Tavern. He's wearing a T-shirt for Jack's Tavern." He says, "Hey, Brother King." I'm not going to the tavern. I'm just part of their team. His wife says, yeah, tell him, tell him about the, the keg of beer at second base. And if you hit a double, you, gotta, you can't go to third without drinking a 16-ounce glass of beer. Tell him about that. Right? See, you don't always know in the immediate what to say. Don't pretend don't give 10 cent answers to million dollar questions. Have enough sense to say, mm, this looks reddish to me, and I would set this aside and maybe see if you don't have some other options. Maybe you could play for a church league. Maybe you should find another hobby. Uh, it probably wouldn't hurt anybody bow hunting. Uh, right? Isn't that true? When you don't know what to say, you err on the side of caution. Someone comes to me, Pastor King, uh, I'm not sure, but I really believe when the Apostle Paul uh, traveled, I mean, he got sent out of the church at Antioch, but I bet you he took communion with the people there at 1 Corinthians 11. Is it okay for me to take communion in another church when I'm traveling? Hey, hey, hey. Don't pretend to be an arbiter. You don't have. You can't go, I got a deputy Holy Spirit badge. I know what everybody's supposed to do. You don't know what everybody's supposed to do. But when you don't know, tell them to err on the side of caution. The missionaries come to me and say, Pastor King, what do you think? I'm out presenting a church Sunday night. I present my, and then they have communion. Should I partake or not? No, truthfully, just being honest, a lot more at stake is I don't want to offend that church and that pastor and that ministry. And so I tell our guys, don't unless you talk to the pastor and he says, we'd like to include you. Err on the side of caution. If You don't have to partake. You can have it back at our place the next time. Now, I don't, did you notice I didn't ask you what you thought about that? <laughs> I'm saying, err on the side of caution. You yeah. just try to do your very best to protect the best interests of everybody. I hear it all the time. Brother King... Do you think I should go in partnership with this guy? Brother King, do you think we should buy that new house? It's 24 miles out of town. Hey, hey. 
I don't have a Bible verse. But I don't know. Uh, this guy, he claims to be a Christian, and we want to go in business together, and he's a Pentecostal. But boy, he's really, really good at barbering, and we want to start up a Christian barber shop. And do you think I should go in partnership with him? Right? Listen, listen. They present to you. I don't. I didn't ask for this part of the job. I don't pretend to know everything. But the first thing, when it looks reddish to me, I have a Bible principle. Better set this aside. Somebody's got AIDS and they say, hey, can I be baptized? And I say, hey, I'm not getting in that water with you. There's a 15-year waiting period to see if you're sincere. (laughs) I'm saying, folks, there's lots of things you don't know for sure. And just have the grace and the humility to say, I'm not sure about that. That looks a little ishy to me. Let's set that aside. Let's not plunge headlong in. Let's be erring on the side of caution. You get down to, you know, leprosy. Why do we have, uh, why do we have shots? Uh, you can get infected from a rusty nail, right? Germs can live on inanimate objects, right? Well, leprosy can too. It can live inside clothes. If you think of They didn't have a Walmart when they had the warp and the woof of a woven cloth. They don't have a whole bunch of outfits. If there's a spot that looks like leprosy, can I keep that or throw it away? If they have a garment made out of leather, skin, and it looks like, well, wow, I don't know. Is that just mold or is that leprosy? If I buy a house and, hey, there's streaks in the wall, I I don't want to throw away the whole house, but... Right? So you get to chapter 14. Well, here at chapter 13, verse 49, it says, And if the plague be greenish or reddish in the garment, verse 56, the priests look and the plague be somewhat dark after the washing, then he shall rend it out. Stop it. Stop it. It's my wife. Sorry, i got to take it. Um, I should never have brought that up here. Now, hear me. The first principle is, if you don't know what to do, err on the side of caution. But then there's this whole range of things. i got dishes, i got bowls, i got clothing, i got all my possessions... What if I think there might be, and the same process goes, let him look at it, let him set it aside, let's see if it grows, let's see if it gets worse. But the solution, the solution is, hey, if it's a valuable garment and it does have leprosy, don't throw the whole garment away. Cut out the bad part. Put different in there. Oh, hey, hey. A guy plays in a rock band, and he gets saved, and he comes to your church. Do you say, hey, listen, the saxophone is from the devil. Don't you ever play that again? Take all your music and throw it in the trash. No, hey, 
take out the bad part and put in the good part. Right? It's a, it's a principle. Get the X-rated movies out of your house. But it's a law of nature where there's a vacuum, something will fill it. Something will fill it. Take out the bad spot. Put something good in its place. Hey, you don't, now you're saved. You're deer hunting buddies. There's nothing wrong with deer hunting. But going up to the shack two days ahead of time, getting blasted, blind, drunk. Right? You can cut out the bad part. You can go deer hunting with guys that enjoy the hunting sport without all of that. You, I mentioned music. I mean, I think you should get rid of all rock music except Creedence Clearwater Revival. Now that, that is still permissible. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. You know that came from God. What did the Bible say? Uh, Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. And I think it's always funny. We all want to get delivered from sin, but we want to stay in touch once in a while. <laughs> wow! We all have to go through this. What's in your closet not pleasing to the Lord? Don't come to church naked. Put something better in its place. You go in the house. We won't take time. I'm done. The, the chapter about, hey, uh, if you find leprosy in a the house, they, they scrape the walls of the house, they shut up the house, nobody's going to go in there. The priest looks in a week, looks in a second week, looks in a third week. If it's green straight, if it looks, then hey, we're going to scrape all the walls of the house. We're going to throw that powder out in an unclean place. We're going to plaster over the house. We don't throw the house away. We plaster it over. We seal it so that it never comes back. Boy, don't don't you suppose we could have a few? A pastor has to have some discretion. We're the ones. Unfortunately, they're going to ask, are you putting a difference between clean and unclean? It's not always simple. And I close with this. We're, we're, look, Wisconsin's the dairy state. And in our area... There's this place that sells secondhand stuff and old movie props, and they have all kinds of Elvis things and fish and big plastic displays and old store signs and every imaginable thing. And one day, this couple makes an appointment to come see me, and they own a dairy farm right on the main highway in our town. And the husband is proud of his farm and they're members of our church. And he saw at this place a cow. It's 12 feet tall. It's a Holstein cow. It is got a great big face, a big nose, and a great big toothy smile. The cow is standing up on her hind legs She's got a great big udder, and she's, with her front paws, holding her skirt up. She's got this red polka dot skirt, and she's there flashing her udder. Now, the husband 
thinks it's hysterical. <laughs> and he's going to buy it. It's only $1,400. <laughs> and she's sitting across from my desk, tears running down her face. Pastor King, don't let him buy it. Don't let him buy it, Pastor King. That I could, I, my friends, I mean, if that's out in front of our farm, I couldn't even go in public. Please don't let him buy that. And the husband, the spiritual one of the group, says, look, Brother King, you just preached that she's supposed to be in submission to me and obey her husband in all things. And this is in the province of my liberty. And you said right from the pulpit that Bibles are authority in all matters of faith and practice. And I want you to show me the verse that says no plastic cows. I'm still looking for that one. Hey. Hey, they're threatening divorce. And this presents to me, did I want this job? Do I want to be the arbiter of this? Was this in the job description? Did they tell me this in Bible college? I mean, hey! 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 I got to admit, it looked kind of reddish to me. I didn't have anything more definitive than that. And so I asked him, I said, okay, look, I don't try to micromanage. I'm not the head of your house. You do as you please. It's your farm. It's your business. But could I ask you to wait? Maybe somebody else will buy it. Maybe your passion for having it will pass. Maybe you'll think more of your wife than of a cow. Hey, hey. You say, oh, you're pretty smart. No, I, I read Leviticus 13. When you don't know what to do, buy time. Buy time. Get him to think it through. Let's look at this a ways down the road. Six months later, he comes to me and says, ah, I don't have to have that cow. I don't need that cow. I'm saying to you, I'm pleading with you preachers, listen, have sense about you. Don't pretend that you can run everybody's lives and don't pretend that you know exactly what should be done every time. If it's darkish white, if it's a thin yellow hair, if it's something that is halfway in between, buy for time. And then once it's shown that that would be wrong, think through what could we eliminate, what part is it that we actually object to that's a contrary to the Bible, could we still salvage, could he still play saxophone in the orchestra instead of his band? Right? Could we put something else in its place? I can't tell you how much I believe this. Pastors are forced to some of the cruddiest decisions. Don't you suppose it would help us to say, Hey, it's my job to teach the difference between clean and unclean. 
I've taught you this is wrong. Here's the Bible commands. Here's the Bible imperatives. Here's the things that are absolutes. I can say, thus saith the Lord, that's for sure. But there's this whole realm. Is it right for a Christian to have a pool table? A man comes to our church. Brother King, I saw in the bulletin that the young people of this church are having a bowling activity. Now, it's January in Wisconsin. We're not doing a lot of outdoor stuff. And the guy says, listen, I was in three bowling leagues. I won the city tournament. The seventh frame was the beer frame. I, 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 I'm telling you, the music, the tavern is just a... It's just a preparation for our kids going to those hell holes. And I got delivered from that. And I quit those leagues. And I can't believe you're going to let our young people go to that den of iniquity. And if you do, we're quitting the church. I talked to the youth pastor, Brother King, it's a Saturday morning. They're opening up special for us. They're playing our music. They're not going to have the bar open, the pool tables, and all the games are closed. They're giving us three games plus shoes for $2, and we're going to be the only ones in the place. Right? But I don't get to hide behind the deacon's skirts. I don't get, somebody's going to say yes or no, right? I don't want to lose a tither, but I also don't want somebody to rule our church with their preferences, right? I'm only saying, look, I did this a long time. And I think pastors need, I, I told our men, and maybe this would help you, hey, I'm a reasonable person. If you had the same information in the same order that I got it, 99% of the time you would have made the exact same decision. And if you were in charge and I was under you, Every once in a great while, you'd make a judgment that I wouldn't agree with. But the trouble is, God's called me to pastor this outfit. And I'm doing the best I can before God Almighty. I first fear Him. And I'm trying to help you. I wouldn't hurt you for the world. But I have a responsibility to everybody else beside you. Heads bowed and eyes closed today. It looks ish to me. It looks ish to me. Then let's be real cautious here. Then let's be real cautious here. Let's be real careful. Thank you for your patience. Let me just challenge you with this simple thought. Could you at least be humble enough to say, Lord, as these things present to me.
please help me to have discretion and wisdom and help our people to understand I'm trying to do my very best to please God, to lead our people, to care for the individual, and to protect this flock. But I don't always know what's best. And that I will always ask God to lead me. It's a nasty job. Somebody's got to do it, and it falls my way. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Give me courage, faith, discretion, boldness. But Lord, would you help me? You're here today and you say, Pastor King, I do take seriously shepherding a flock and I have to admit there's lots of things that come my way that I'm not absolutely certain about. But I know for sure I want to please God and I want to protect our people. And I'm asking God to help me with these principles. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? My thank you. God bless you. God bless you, Heavenly Father. You've seen the hands. You know the hearts. And Lord, before we dismiss today, thank you for the challenge to win souls. Thank you for the challenge to walk by faith and to trust you and to believe you and follow you. And Lord, here today in this chapter in Leviticus, would you help us teach our people to err on the side of caution, to take out the bad without sacrificing the good, to be gracious to one another and yet have a premium on protecting holiness and righteousness. Lord, I pray for pastors, they may face a situation even right now that looks ish to them. They're not the first one to have to battle with this. If they're not dealing with right now, it's something right around the corner that'll come up again. God, I pray that you'd bless, protect, and guide these dear pastors. We need your help, and we ask for it here today, in the name and through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a verse of invitation.